Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. It's a radio program dedicated to raising awareness of issues concerning animals. This includes advocacy, activism, protection, conservation, and importantly, appreciation. The show is broadcast from the 3CR studios in Melbourne on 855am. Thanks to Sally for that edition of Out of the Pan and all the great shows of Out of the Pan throughout the year. And you can actually hear Sally on our last episode, as Sally mentioned. Um, yeah, Sally came on our show for a little while talking about the yeah animal justice parties and issues around gender and sexuality and, and those kind of issues. So you can check out um, Sally on all our old ep- on our last episode, um, and all our old episodes are available at freedomofspecies.org and on iTunes as well. And you can also check out Sally's show via the 3CR website too. So on this episode, it's going to be all about animal rights as a social justice issue, uh, also looking at sort of the flip side of that, the way that harm to animals is kind of a form of oppression as well, and sort of framing things in that in those terms, which are not, uh, it's not often not spoken about in that way. So joining me for the entire hour live in the studio is Madison Griffiths. Thanks for coming, Madison. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. And Madison was on uh, the way we kind of set up this uh, discussion is I heard Madison on the Tuesday morning breakfast show. So yeah, that was a really great interview on feminism and veganism. And yeah, you listen to that. That was 6th of November and you can check out that show um, yeah, Tuesday 7 till 8.30am and that is via the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au slash Tuesday hyphen breakfast. And I also want to give out a shout out to another show as well. Um, the Unitarian Half Hour, another show on 3CR, Why Animal Rights is a Social Justice Issue. That They covered that same topic as well. There's a talk by Catherine Wright they played uh, on the Unitarian Half Hour, Saturday, 10th of November. And you can check out that show, Saturdays, 10.30 till 11am, uh, and also at 3cr.org.au forward slash Unitarian. So it's great to see just recently, just incidentally, lots of uh, other 3CR shows beyond us as well, making this link and being really supportive of this idea of animals being part of the social justice pie. I guess it's not a matter of replacing and saying these other forms of oppression aren't important, but more adding animals into the mix, I guess. So I wanted to start off with a bit of a quote about the idea of social justice as something that's constantly evolving and things which might not be seen as social justice at one time we might view as later or forms of discrimination, this kind of thing. So I've got a quote from Noam Chomsky, who's a well-known, he's a linguist, but he writes a lot about politics. This is from his book on anarchism. And he talks a bit about in the past how gender inequality wasn't necessarily seen as gender inequality. It was just kind of the way things are. And then he goes on to say, as anyone involved in any kind of activism knows, say the women's movement, one of the first tasks is get people to understand that they are living under conditions of oppression and domination. It isn't obvious, and who knows what forms of oppression and domination we are just accepting without even noticing them. At some further stage of self-enlightenment and communal understanding, we will recognise that those are the things we have to deal with, and we can't plan for them if we don't know about them. And I think the the idea of animals and animal oppression is, is definitely one of these things which is often not seen as a form of oppression, but is starting to be recognised. One, I think this is one we'll look back on as a, as a form of oppression as well. And again, that is already happening here at 3CR, not just on this 
show, uh, but other shows as well. Um, and yeah, I also wanted to mention just one final thing. I spoke about being at a sociology conference recently. I'm a sociologist, and I guess the big big three in sociology so sociology are race, class, and gender. They're obviously the three classic ones. But at, at this conference, I also went to sessions on critical disability studies. So that's kind of a new one. And I think bringing in the idea of disability doesn't take away from talking about gender, race, and class. And there's actually intersections with those issues. So for example, one of the talks was on girls with autism and how that is under un, un, underdiagnosed because of gender norms and all these kind of things so it actually intersected with gender for example and, and much the same with animals as we're going to talk about animal rights as a social justice issue but also how it uh, how it intersects with other forms of oppression particularly feminism which Madison has written about so yeah just in this intro section do you want to talk any more about um, yeah sort of this idea of animal rights social justice issue or also any links with other forms of oppression I think you've made some wonderful points Nick um, I believe that a lot of people are quick to uh, discredit the idea that animals are um, victims of oppressive standards by which that they by which they live and by which we actually make sense of their bodies. Um, and the idea that the the animal body as a spectacle or as something to consume um, is synonymous with the way people of color are treated, the way women are color uh, uh, women are treated and women of color, obviously, um, disabled folk, LGBTQI mm. folk. Essentially, marginalised bodies um, fit into these relationships as oppressed people or oppressed um, animals, whether they're non-human or otherwise, Mm -hmm. Um, and without really being able to make sense of animal rights as a social justice issue, we, we really need to acknowledge that, that the relationship is something that we know well and we've seen it happen. Um, we've seen it sort of manifest with different groups. Um, and once we start acknowledging that as being something that animals experience as well, is when we'll be able to properly make sense of animal oppression. Mm. And in terms of why animal rights often isn't seen in this way, and I think, you know, often the way I see it, and there definitely are exceptions to this, but I kind of see a sort of, leftist progressive social justice movements is sort of in one area and of course there are you know problems within that there is examples of like feminist movements being racist and Mm. and vice versa it's definitely those problems but it's kind of at least assumed like it is an issue because it's seen as they should go together and so there definitely is at least recognitions that you know those who are opposed to racism should be opposed to sexism Mm. those kind of things within that human-centered focus and then animals are kind of somewhere over here and there's a number of different reasons for that or run number of different thoughts I have and maybe it's the fact that the animal rights movement hasn't framed things these terms and sometimes even um, I guess contributed to these other forms of oppression to dis- dismiss them which will we definitely covered on the show quite a lot recently and that will sort of be I'm sure that will come up as well today but it, it often isn't spoken about in those terms but yeah there are, is a, I think a lot to be said we hear like a lot about uh, like white privilege or male privilege, privilege which are all you know very real things and help us understand the world but similarly we can understand like human privilege and th- this idea of like human dominance and human privilege in terms of, um, yeah, animal oppression as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an entitlement um, to to bodies, I find, and to essentially um, – there's this wonderful quote I remember that was for, for people in positions of privilege, equality seems oppressive. Mm. Um, and I think that's especially pertinent with um, human privilege in mm. that in that same way because any mention of, of veganism um, or any sort of invitation to to actually not take what isn't yours um, seems 
I don't want to use the word oppressive, but it's interpreted as oppressive by by meat eaters, um, by humans. So that just is proof of how, I guess, blinding this kind of human privilege is Mm -hmm. in that instance. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of backlash to uh, the fact that obviously all those things, white privilege, male privilege and that kind of thing exist uh, still, definitely. But Mm -hmm. having said that, I think in recent years it has at least been challenged more and more. Not to say it wasn't challenged in the past, but I think a lot more mainstream discussions are actually calling out sexism and, and racism and these kind of issues. And so just the fact that it's being acknowledged and then the, those who are sort of on the privileged end are kind of feeling like they're oppressed and, and you know, making fun and making light and much to say, uh, much the same with animals as well. So I, I think there was something from Peter that recently came out was about avoiding speciesist language and it was kind of this whole thing, political correctness has gone mad and all this. And we get the same thing when people are trying to challenge sexist language or racist language as well. So it's, yeah, the idea of, as you kind of touched on those who are kind of on the privileged end, even when they have to consider that they're all of a sudden they're the oppressed ones too so that was really funny because that did the rounds and was teased by um, both sides of the political uh, spectrum which Mm. I did find really really interesting Um, and I have a lot of thoughts on that particular (laughs) motive by Peter (laughs) yeah go ahead oh yeah um, (laughs) yeah. well I I think where I have a lot of issues with Peter, not for their, obviously not for their initiatives, um, but I think what they tend to do is that they have the right idea that animals are also victims of an, an oppressor and oppressed relationship and those structures are upheld by things like language mm. and by how we make sense of animals' bodies and how we engage with animals' bodies. Um, where Peter go wrong is that they, the way they address uh, comparisons, say, with how LGBTQI people are treated or how people of colour are treated is that they they assume essentially or the, or the sort of language that they put forward assumes that those issues of race and those issues of sexuality have been resolved mm-hmm. and we've been there and we've done that and we've sorted out racism and it happened years ago mm-hmm. when that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so they sort of try, I understand what they're trying to do, they're, they're trying to create this positive environment where like, look what we did, we achieved all of these incredible social justice things, um, now it's time for the animals. Mm-hmm. Whereas what I think they need to to acknowledge is that these structures still exist. They do happen to be very similar or, or much the same structures that oppress animals, but we can't throw them under the bus for the sake of another oppressed group. That's the whole point of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, I did find it um, – I did like their idea because I do believe that language is incredibly important. And I also found it very ironic that it was on the um, – it was treated as this sort of political correctness gone too far and then not long ago people were really, really upset about um, non-animal products being labelled meat. So language mm. is obviously important to people who eat meat mm. um, just as much as people who don't. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. We, we did do an episode on that a while ago as well and, like, a lot of people are comfortable eating chicken but maybe not a chicken or chickens yes. or whatever. So the way we use language sort of uh, hides the oppression or obscures it, I guess. And, yeah, I guess, like, that is what we're trying to do this episode today, of bring in, bringing animals into the mix mm. uh, but also not at the expense of those other ones and also not in a way that assumes we can t- those the other ones are already ticked off. And definitely beyond Peter too, I think it's an issue with the animal movement in general. I don't know if you've seen this graphic but it's kind of like racism, sex homophobia all crossed out and then we've got speciesism yeah. and it's kind of like I think this sort of basically comes out of Peter Singer's work who's often called the father of the animal rights movement and I think in defence of Peter Singer more what he was saying is we've had a movement against racism we've had, we've had a movement against sexism now it's time to have a movement against animals Absolutely. which I, I'm sympathetic I think that is accurate but we can't talk about as if, as if they're things of the past obviously yes yeah. Yeah. having a movement is very different to having a resolution um, yeah, exactly. so I, I totally agree yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah we might actually go to we're 
going to do something a bit different. We're not, not actually going to have a track here, a musical track. We're going to have a bit of the documentary Earthlings. Have you seen Earthlings, Madison? Oh, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's incredibly hard to watch. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this is obviously, you know, we're not going to play any of the graphic footage. It wouldn't even make sense in an audio sense. But actually the first about 10 minutes was much more philosophical and it raised this idea of speciesism. So this is basically highlighting the connections of a bit with racism, sexism, these other forms of oppression, the fact that we discriminate based on arbitrary criteria. We sort of assume we're more important, our interests are more important because of our species as, as is done around race and gender and sexuality and other issues as well. So I'm just going to buy a couple of minutes um, of this documentary which highlight this idea of um, speciesism. Since we all inhabit the Earth, all of us are considered Earthlings. There is no sexism, no racism, or speciesism in the term Earthling. It encompasses each and every one of us, warm or cold-blooded, mammal, vertebrae or invertebrae, bird, reptile, amphibian, fish, and human alike. Humans, therefore, being not the only species on the planet, share this world with millions of other living creatures as we all evolve here together. However, it is the human earthling who tends to dominate the earth, oftentimes treating other fellow earthlings and living beings as mere objects. This is what is meant by speciesism. By analogy with racism and sexism, the term speciesism is a prejudice or attitude of bias in favor of the interest of members of one's own species and against those of members of other species. If a being suffers, there can be no moral justification for refusing to take that suffering into consideration. No matter what the nature of the being, the principle of equality requires that one suffering can be counted equally with the like suffering of any other being. Racists violate the principle of equality by giving greater weight to the interests of members of their own race when there's a clash between their interests and the interests of those of another race. Sexists violate the principle of equality by favoring the interests of their own sex. Similarly, speciesists allow the interests of their own species to override the greater interests of members of other species. In each case, the pattern is identical. You're listening to Freedom of Species on 3CR and we're joined by Madison Griffiths discussing animal rights as a social justice issue. And in this section, we're going to talk a bit about animal rights and feminism. Uh, actually, just referring back to that, we just heard Earthlings, just a little bit of Earthlings. Uh, that's one of the opening bits, which is more philosophical, and then it goes through uh, all the different ways we use animals. So I think it is well worth watching, but make sure you're in the right frame of mind that it's not uh, going to sort of depress you and put you into to despair. If you Maybe if it can motivate people to make changes to their diet or get more active in terms of activism I do know a couple of friends and I, I spoke about sort of the philosophical arguments for veganism they're like we're totally on board um, but they'd kind of still if there was a bit of dairy in their margarine or whatever they that would be okay but after they watched Earthlings I was like that was it and they were sort of very strict like vegans after that so I think it can be positive but again make sure you're in the right frame of mind you can watch the whole thing for free at nationearth.com 
And yeah, so we're going to be talking about animal rights and feminism. This is a topic Madison has written on uh, mm-hmm. with the article, I Don't Eat Meat Because I'm a Feminist on the Sydney Morning Herald, which is good. Great to get this stuff out to a big audience <laughs> there. I did want to add some content warnings for this section. We're doing this live, so I don't know exactly what we're going to cover, but there may be discussions of some, um, yeah, some comparisons or issues coming up around violence against women and sexual assault. Um, but yeah, maybe if you want to talk about what uh, what led you to read this article, write, write this article, sorry. Yeah, so um, actually a lot of conversations with my partner um, and reading Carol Adams, who is mm. just absolutely incredible when it comes to um, highlighting these issues of um, intersectionality when it comes to speciesism, when it comes to feminism. Um, and I, I strongly recommend The Pornography of Meat, which is a book that she wrote quite a while ago, and it can be um, purchased in all good bookstores. It's still still very, very popular. Um, I Don't Eat Meat Because I'm a Feminist was uh, an article I actually wrote quite quickly, um, and it was fueled by a lot of... It was actually fueled by an instance that I had... Um, at a, at a social function where I was wearing a dress and I felt so um, viewed and surveyed in a really, really sort of grotesque way. Um, and I, I do write about that at the beginning of the of the article um, by men. And it, it sort of did, I guess, frame my feelings about the way women are objectified, about the way we are sought as these sort of like appetizing conquests, about the language that we use to describe women and women's bodies. Um, and then about the language, the sort of feminizing language we use to describe certain animals, um, be it the rump or breast of a, of a particular animal, um, and also the gendered way that we eat and the gendered way that we eat food. Um, uh, steak is a very masculine, red meat is seen as a very sort of masculine um, a cuisine, whereas white meats or fish um, is seen as a very feminine cuisine. So gender really pervades our relationship with animals um, well past just the just animals themselves, but how we engage with, with animals on the plate or the animals we wear. Um, so, yeah, I, I just it, – it, once I started uh, opening this can of worms, it just sort of all came out and it made so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And actually just walking here, uh, there's a restaurant a couple of doors down from 3CR. I don't know if you've seen it. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, you do? Um, yes. Yeah. And so I was actually standing out there with my little like clipboard, like writing down stuff. I think they were giving me funny looks because I was writing down <laughs> some of the things. But it's just like it's not it's not at all subtle is one thing that's like this, this connection between, I guess, objectification of women or sexualization of women and consumption of animals. So yeah, some of the big banners they've got up there are touch my fat breast with like a chicken breast and obviously make that connection and, and 99 problems, but a chick ain't one yes. as well is another one that I saw. I don't know if there's any I've missed, but either way, that's uh, yeah, pretty, pretty blatant. I think Carol Adams would have a field day. She'd have Absolutely. a whole book to write if she walked She would be place, there I making think, notes yeah. with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, one, one example I found really, really really interesting which I I mentioned in the article was um, Johnny Diablo who who created a vegan strip club in the States um, and his tagline was the meat is on the poles not the plates which I just found um, really really interesting because obviously highly offensive and I was (laughs) was disgusted in it but I I did find it interesting because he what he revealed to me was that he was saying essentially inviting men to have their masculinity um, and to really relish it um, whilst not hurting animals, but at the expense of women. Mm. And so it just became so obvious that there is no way to to do that 
they sort of work hand in hand. Um, and if we use these standards to these really really feminising standards to describe animals or vice versa, um, social justice just won't be achieved. Yeah, I, I did want to. I mean, maybe I, I could. Yeah, I will. I will throw this in, but uh, yeah, um, it's. It's probably something we could all do a, a, like a one-hour episode if it was like a uh, like a feminist show because I know this is a huge debate within feminism. But just I, I, one backlash I have seen against that critique, not of that strip club specifically, but this sort of sexualization of women uh, versus like consumption of animals, is that I guess consent, which you raised in your article, I guess like there is some element of consent for women, whatever it is, um, being strippers or being in pornography or whatever, uh, whereas the same couldn't be said for animals who are you know, killed for their, their meat, for example. Um, yeah, I know it's a huge topic. But Massive. I don't, yeah, um, but, yeah, I don't know. Is it, yeah, if you have anything to say about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. I think consent is a really um, difficult one. And I do – one thing that I am very wary of and one thing that I see happen quite a bit is when people do – um, when a lot of women I see become really, really sort of uh, taken aback by the – mainly with the dairy industry, I find, the sort mm. of the assumption – or not the assumption, the claim that um, that cows are uh, don't give consent to be artificially inseminated and all of this stuff and, and using words um, such as rape and, and those sort of words, a lot of women do find that really, really jarring to, to hear. Um but I believe that 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 in itself, that sort of um, that response to to be to be taken aback by that is an inherently speciesist um, conception because it does show that animals cannot consent in the ways that that non-human uh, sorry non-human animals cannot um, consent in the ways human animals do. Um, but it is incredibly, incredibly complex, and I do agree that we we would need a whole day, I think, to to dissect all of this stuff. Yeah, and I guess the you know the point we're making is that not that speciesism is exactly the same as no, sexism, so there are not. different, and obviously same with any form of oppression, like you know I mentioned sexism or, or gender and disability or gender and race. It doesn't mean they're exactly the same. So I think there are differences, but that mm. doesn't mean there aren't some valid links to make in terms of, as you say, objectification when it comes to like yeah breasts, for example, of chicken and women and and these kind of yeah objectification both. So I think there are some valid links, and there Absolutely. also obviously are differences as well. And I did want to give a shout out to the ABC show uh, Fresh. Blood. It's like a comedy series, and the episode was why you like this. I don't know if you've at all seen that, but it was a, a really good episode. It was sort of touched on a wide range of social justice issues, but actually, actually one of the uh, one there's like two women in the in the series, and one of them goes out and works on this dairy farm, and she's basically she has to artificially inseminate the cows, and she's like, I'm not doing this like ethically, like this is sexual assault, and I'm I'm not going to do it. So yeah, the, I guess this is one one aspect of um, yeah links between feminism and and like dairy. Are there any, mm. any, any other links you want to make in terms of, uh, like we've mentioned meat to a degree, but also the dairy industry and how yeah, why it's a feminist issue? Absolutely. I mean, I do, I sort of steer clear um, from, uh, I, I obviously don't subscribe to the idea that um, to be a woman, you must have a female body. I don't agree with that at all. I, I think more broadly, um, uh, when I talked about the way women are treated, I, I want and animals. I don't necessarily mean just female animals. I mean all animals because I'm talking about that relationship. I do think the dairy industry is incredibly violent and sort of protected by this idea that there isn't 
bloodshed at the end when there really there is um and it is obviously inherently gendered within animal structures because um each animal according to their sex serves a serves a certain purpose Mm. um but yes i do i do try to ensure that when i when i do make links between um women's bodies or women in general um and animals i try not to necessarily marry women with female animals if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely i definitely understand why you'd be um cautious about doing that and understanding gender more in a social sense rather than a a biological sense but i guess in terms of like the biological way the dairy industry does break it up it is very much in that male female way Mm. and i think it is very much about like controlling female bodies in those industries for both egg and dairy so controlling female bodies to maximize production to make profit Mm. and so i think there definitely are parallels with issues like pro-choice struggles around abortion about yeah, women have controlling of their bodies as well. And so, as far yeah. as I'm aware, they do call the the uh, chambers. Is it like rape chambers or something uh, incredibly yeah, violent? Yeah, rape rack. I rape think they rack. Call it. Yeah, yeah, where yeah, they line yeah. up the cows. So I just uh, that in and of itself is it is so loud and obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and yeah, I think we've covered, we've covered that. But um, yeah, I was wondering, yeah, you, you touched on in terms of diets. I thought that was quite interesting and, and worth exploring as well. This idea that, um, yeah, it's not just that idea of like, yeah, sort of men objectifying women and animals in terms of, um, yeah, eating eating animals. But do you want to uh, talk a little bit more about that, that sort of um, feminization of food or masculinization feminization of food based on gender around consuming animals or not absolutely so um the point i made in the article was essentially that when i decided to uh adopt a vegan diet or a vegan lifestyle Mm -hmm. um i i felt incredibly powerful because i was I, i was doing it for reasons that had nothing to do with my physical appearance it had nothing to do with um maintaining a kind of conventionally attractive exterior it had everything to do with my ethics um and i actually felt that felt very freed by that mm. um i do believe that there is a way to do there is a way to do veganism in a sense that um is incredibly ethical and is and, and does prove this point but i get really really upset when i see a lot of uh, sort of vegan diets that are kind of advertised in a way as a, as a weight loss regime or as a way for for women to to look a certain way, um, and I believe that's incredibly damaging and almost hypocritical. Mm. Um, so yeah, I did find um, the point of the article I was trying to make was that it was have adopting this diet that had nothing to do um, with the male gaze essentially was resistance, mm. and it had everything to do with with resisting male oppression across the board. Mm. I felt very powerful. Yeah, I really love that point. I think it made a lot of sense, the idea of, uh, yeah, I guess not eating for the reasons that you're told to, like in the advertising industry more traditionally. But even I know we'll get onto your podcast, uh, No Chill Pod, in uh, yeah at, at the end. But yeah, the idea of like Instagram and pressures about thigh gaps and all this kind of stuff, all these are the messages uh, people in general, but often specifically women in particular, are, are bombarded with. And to actually resist that and to eat for reasons that have nothing to do with that definitely does seem quite uh, revolutionary. Yeah, yeah, and it is quite interesting when you see... Um when you, when you sort of see a lot of ignorance organizations try to invite men into their cause and they do it through a way that they show the the biggest like buffest men that happen to be vegan at the same time so it is 
it is interesting when you do see these sort of gendered ways of eating that are advertised and, and you're sort of advertising an ideal body type as opposed to the ethics, mm. um, which I do, I do find really, really complex. But yes, I did find it very, very powerful. Mm. And you've touched on this a little bit, but um, yeah, one, one thing I was kind of curious about is because of those, these links between different forms of oppression, marginalized groups such as women, people of color, et cetera, are often put down by using animal slurs. And again, that's something we've covered mm. on the show in the past. And so there can be, we've touched on this a bit before, but there can be some opposition from you know, groups like women, for example, on sort of being compared to animals because the idea of like they have been compared to animals in the past to devalue women. Um, so I'm wondering, like, obviously I'm sure you've got some trolls who are just like, this is ridiculous and it's yes. ludicrous and all this and like, I, that's probably not worth even going into. But I'm wondering like from other feminists, either from this article or just people you know, like what has the reaction been? Have people been open to this link or has there been some backlash? Absolutely, there's been backlash. Mm. Um, I do do find it really quite frustrating for that reason and I also um, I'm the first person to critique the whiteness um, that pervades all social justice initiatives or movements I think whiteness and I mentioned this on um, on the breakfast on Tuesday breakfast whiteness pervades the LGBTQI struggle whiteness pervades um, women's the women's movement white feminism is is incredibly toxic and hurts a lot of women of color um, and veganism has, or vegan initiatives like Peter have long been uh, critiqued for how there are, I think there are 80% of um, vegan activists in the States are white and female. Um, but I don't believe that animals are the ones to punish for this. I think that this is a, a problem, problem inherent in social structures more broadly mm. um, and that whiteness will inevitably bleed into um, all forms of activism. But to resist that by still eating animals and mm. still engaging in oppressive behaviours seems really, really odd to me. Mm. So I think that there has to be ways for us to be able to critique this whiteness broadly, understand that it will pervade veganism, and we need to to sort of uh, be critical of that. Mm. Uh, one example that I find really uh, quite funny is when I was looking into PETA, I was, I was actually writing an article called The White Way to Eat. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I've heard uh, animal whites as yeah. well as being, yeah, and Peter, there, there were all of these these sort of women dressed up as um, as farm animals as part of a protest. But there, there were these two um, black women that they had dressed up as zebras, and I just thought that was incredibly um, just awful, and and captured that exactly the um, how exotic uh, women of colour's bodies are, and of course they're going to choose exotic animals for them mm. to represent. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, that the issue is so far beyond the actual animals and resisting veganism will in no way resist that overarching whiteness. Mm, definitely. And I think there is often that backlash. And I think what that sort of backlash overlooks is that if we uh, as a movement are racist, sexist, like we need to challenge that and that is really bad, but eating animals doesn't actually harm us. We are not the victims. We're animal advocates, but we're the humans. We're the, we're the, like, the, we're the privileged group in this. So you're just actually, you know, um, harming another oppressed group. You're not actually harming us as a privileged group. An example, uh, Peter did a campaign where they dressed in clan outfits um, to protest. I think it was, they're making a point about pure breed dog breeds or something, oh, but it all gets lost and just becomes a stunt. And someone basically, um, yeah, yelled at them, I'm going to wear more fur because of this or whatever. And it's like, I under, obviously the backlash is valid and there, there should be backlash and it should be criticised. Uh, but yeah, consuming animals is not, 
really harming PETA or the PETA people doing that. It's harming, again, a marginalised group. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was a tweet that was in response to um, PETA's recent uh, animal language, anti-animal language campaign, mm. which was, which essentially said, is PETA really being run by big meat to try and get vegans to, to eat meat again? And I just, mm. again, you're, you're exactly right. It, it misses the point. And I think that's what makes animal rights so unique is that unlike um, other forms of uh, sort of marginalised resistance is there were women that championed the women's movement. There were black people that championed the, the black movement. There were um, LGBTQI people that championed the, the um, gay rights movement. Whereas we have to speak on behalf of a marginalised group and that will always make it a little bit jarring because we vegans them, uh, aren't oppressed mm-hmm. um, and it is really hard to... to sort of represent a group that is mm-hmm. um and yeah i think that that will inevitably make it a little bit inaccessible for for people unfortunately yeah and i think there are you know there are some maybe legitimate forms of vegans being discriminated against for example uh but having said that i think it very much intersects with other forms of oppression or privilege so uh for example as a white male heterosexual etc i don't really feel very oppressed being vegan but i think often like female vegans are often um talked down on an example i gave a talk up in um townsville with uh, james aspie as well known the vegan movement and someone else and there's some there's someone who was always trolling their events when it was women speaking out and then when it was me and James Aspie they were totally quiet because they didn't they didn't want to do that so I, I think yeah that I think veganism in a way can be a form of oppression but mainly only when it intersects with other forms Absolutely. of oppression yeah yes. yeah um, and yeah, I was going to make one final point, uh, but I think it has escaped me. So we'll, we'll, go, <laughs> we'll, we'll go to a track. I did have a song, um, which wasn't by a band of all dudes, or at least this was a band of all dudes at this time. They've now got one female member, but propagandy. I did have a song by a feminist band or women band, uh, here from here in Melbourne. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out too well, but this is also quite relevant as well and quite relevant to some of the, some of, some of the stuff we've been discussing. So we can go to the track by propagandy is apparently I'm a PC fascist because I care about both human and non-human animals. Some of my other ones will get protected from friends. My casuals and their flags make final refugees. Character assassination. Ignore the issues and other relations between consumption and brutality. And you can roll your eyes and marginalize. Looking for a gift for the lefty in your life this Christmas? 3CR has a range of publications, clothing, CDs, wine and other products available online or from the station. New items include the 2019 How to Make Trouble and Influence People Diary, which features a radical event in Australian history for each day of the year, as well as stories and images covering Indigenous Australian resistance, strikes, street art, convict escapes, creative direct action, blockades, protests and occupations. Also available is Fighting for Spaces, Fighting for Our Lives, a collection of essays, photographs and first-hand accounts about the squatting movements from around the world today. And On The Fly, an anthology which features dozens of stories, poems and songs originally produced by American hobos from the 1870s to the 1940s. Sale of these publications all help keep 3CR on air. For more information or to make a purchase, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. 
That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. You are listening to Freedom of Species, bringing you animal advocacy on the airwaves of 3CR. And we've been dis- uh, joined by Madison Griffiths talking all about animal rights as a social justice issue, links with other forms of oppression and other social justice movements like the feminist movement, for example. And I, I did want to mention, actually, Madison's article. Um, you can find it at smh.com.au. But I've also shared it around on the Freedom of Species Facebook and Twitter pages as well. So it's one of our recent posts. So, yeah, check that out. It'll also be in the show notes freedomofspecies.org so you can have a read anything we've missed you can uh, yeah you can check that out so yeah another couple of things we've shared on our Facebook and Twitter pages recently which I wanted to mention before we get back to the main topic for today is there's been a um, announced a Brumby slaughter the slaughter of wild horses in the Hunter region um, and this is going to be on December 18th and 19th so coming up very soon um, in aerial cull, so they'll basically like shoot these horses, uh, yeah, from from helicopters, that, those kind of things around Singleton Military Base, um, and this is equine aerial culling. They'll call it. They're calling it. So basically, the yeah, again, killing of horses from yeah from the air uh, is illegal in New South Wales, but the state government is powerless to try and stop the cull because it'll take place on federal government land. And actually, talking about language, even that word culling, like we really are killing. It's just like one one letter difference but it sort of you know it makes it seem not quite as bad or not as formed oppression similar to you know words around animals like eating animals like chicken a chicken versus um chicken it just makes such a big difference or lamb rather than a lamb etc um, but defense has ordered gunmen in a helicopter to kill or cull the wild horse population that has been living on the land since the 1930s um spokesperson spokeswoman for defense said there were up to 150 feral horse in the land and aerial culling was a large Last resort to make sure training activities were not impacted. So, yeah, again, talking about speciesism, the very sort of trivial interests of humans, in this case, to carry out training exercise, are put above the lives of animals, horses in these cases. So, um, yeah, we are encouraging people to call these numbers, put pressure on and help stop this slaughter. So I'll give some of the numbers and there's more um, up on our uh, Facebook and Twitter pages. So you can call Joel Fitzgibbon on 0262774550. You can call Christopher Pine on 0262777800. You can contact Maureen Faruqi on 0262773095. And Darren Hinch is on 0398202222. So triple, um, quadruple two at the end. Um, so yeah, again, there's more phone numbers, all those phone numbers I mentioned, as well as email addresses are on our Facebook and Twitter pages. You can search Freedom of Species on Facebook and on Twitter we're at FOS Radio. I did want to mention one more thing, which is not such a, a huge issue. It's just something I noticed and I've shared up on the Freedom of Species pages as well. Um, just a, a yeah, very sort of small scale example of someone considering animals. So there's just where I walk my dogs or, you know, one of the many places uh, I saw there was a note that a tree is going to be ruined because it's dead. And a note was sort of just handwritten on this council sign saying there are two birds in the two birds nest in this tree maybe consider before removing tree now i just thought that was quite an interesting example um touching on it's just such a small scale example but touching on some of these issues we've covered on the show recently of viewing the environment as not just sort of something that has greenhouse gas emissions or these broader things air pollution etc uh, but also the environment being a home for individual animals as well so i thought that was quite good of that person i don't think that will necessarily have a lot of impact but at least the person who's removed that tree will at least be sort of encouraged to consider it so yeah again 
and that's up on our um, Facebook page and Twitter, Twitter as well. So I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health and animals and mental health and animal activism. So I'll, I'll just give a few examples that I've come across um, and and then, yeah, we'll go to Madison and uh, Madison's done a podcast all about mental health. So we'll hear about that and maybe some links to animals as well. But a couple of examples where I've seen mental health come up is uh, or mental health and animals, mental health and animal activism. One example is mental health issues in the animals themselves. So I've done an interview with an Australian slaughterhouse worker and he spoke about depressed sheep. And yeah, obviously that isn't medically diagnosed, but he basically said these sheep because of their poor conditions, they basically gave up the will to live and would just like not move or anything like that. So there's sort of mental health issues within animals, often even things like separation anxiety or anxiety within companion animals. So that's one aspect of it. Um, also, as we kind of alluded to with earthlings earlier, there can be uh, depression amongst animal advocates um, from witnessing animals being harmed. That could be at the point of their exploitation, like um, protests outside slaughterhouses, or it can just be from watching videos online. Uh, and also anxiety is another issue that comes um, comes up in terms of animal activism. So something I went to about a year ago was a five-day fast for freedom where people basically, um, some some people didn't eat for five days, but either way, a bunch of us were outside this pig slaughterhouse as a sort of protest that raised awareness of that issue. And definitely some of the people I spoke to had quite a lot of anxiety a number of different reasons like they've been in similar actions before and that anxiety came from both experiences with the police but also from I guess being confronted with this reality of animal slaughter as well so I want to hand over to Madison to either um, yeah make any links between animals and mental mm. health but also if you'd like to just talk about your podcast as well yeah. I, either way yeah absolutely I I think that's a really incredible point um, I actually find it when when my partner and I go shopping in Barclay Square just walking past the butchers is a really overwhelming uh, sensory experience. We often do feel quite uh, grossed out, but also really quite upset. Um, and also seeing uh, a couple of vegan activist friends of mine, um, I, I guess, live with these sort of emotional hangovers and um, the secondhand trauma mm. um, and also this this sense of, of helplessness um, when you sort of – understand the vast amount of animals that are being slaughtered every single day and not just slaughtered I mean just oppression more more broadly it's it's impossible to imagine it's that large um, I do think it's really interesting the standards by which we assess mental health in animals is a particularly human one um, and I do think that that is quite effective because there are sort of an initiatives to um, uh, essentially get people to empathise with these animals and sort of say they're really just like us. Mm. I mean, they shouldn't have to be just like us for us to have to empathise with them. Um, but often they, they do they do cry and they do mourn. And uh, I strongly urge listeners, if you do feel up to it, to um, to see footage of, of calves being separated from their mothers. Mm. Um, you can feel the angst, you can feel the anguish, and it is... Uh, unbelievably disturbing for that reason. I, I often do cry um, watching those that that footage. Maybe even more so because I'm much more desensitized to the violence of, of, of other footage. But I do find that particularly um, upsetting to watch. We mm. actually interviewed in our in our podcast. We interviewed Osher Ginsburg, mm. um, who spoke a lot about being um, the first uh, plant based uh, person on the cover of Men's Health, which is quite interesting. And I do believe that he is, in his own way, mm. um, 
doing a lot to challenge masculinity. Uh, he speaks openly about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, he speaks openly about how he has been vegan for a, about 13 years, I believe, for a very long time. Um, and he does so th- while being protected by this kind of mainstream masculine um, allure that he has. Mm. He's incredibly mainstream. He's sort of mm. the, the poster boy of, of, of um, mainstream Australia. Mm. Uh, so I do think that his resistance to masculinity is quite um, admirable and interesting. Mm. Yeah, and it is an interesting one because I, yeah, I kind of, in a way, sort of almost fall on both sides in that I have been in vegan athlete books, like I play ice hockey, for example, which is quite yeah. a masculine sport. <laughs> Um, and I think that that can be framed in a positive way, like not around men specifically, but just people in general, like whatever your dietary requirements, whether you've got to lift a lot of stuff, whether you've got to, you know, run a long way, like you can do it on vegan products. I think that can be positive. I guess where it gets more negative is like, you know, male vegans who don't fit this model are letting down the cause or not doing the right thing. And then it's like the same pressure people are getting from outside the movement. They're getting from within it as well. And that's when it becomes very damaging, I believe anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Mm. Mm. And, and yeah, I guess you also alluded to like seeing the animals when you're walking through or seeing their carcasses in that case, like butchers, for example. And that, that was definitely something that struck me from uh, being a part of that um yeah, that five-day fast of freedom and actually seeing the pigs like coming in, actually seeing them being slaughtered, but just even seeing them outside. And I think it's something that we both know and don't know as a, as a society. So we know animals are slaughtered, but it's obscured in the language, as we mentioned earlier. And obviously, as vegans, we challenge that to a degree and we are critical of the society, but we're also part of the society as well. And so someone like myself who's been vegan for a long time, I'm very aware that animals are being slaughtered, but even being confronted with that reality was quite... Um, was quite powerful it was mm. quite it had quite an impact on me as well so yeah i think that's definitely another yeah another aspect of mental health actually bringing those two worlds together very directly for animal activists can definitely have uh, have that uh, negative impact in terms of mental health i think yeah. no i totally agree um i think that one thing that vegans do that um does hurt us in a in a way is we we rewrite the story that frames um well, not necessarily re- rewrite. We erase all of the re- the rewritten elements of the story of, of the way animals are treated, and with that comes with the um, yeah the the most obvious amount of violence. So once upon a time, uh, especially back when I did eat meat, I, I would walk through a, a deli or a butcher and I wouldn't feel a thing. Mm. Um, truly believing that I was an animal lover at the time, which is mm. so ironic. Um, but once you do start sort of pulling away these layers and um, the violence is so unbelievably obvious and it is really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it has to be, it should be, because it is so violent. There is no way to hide that. Mm. And I wanted to give you a chance to mention your No Chill podcast. I've actually listened to that myself and uh, yeah, really great podcast. I, it did make me feel very old because I got none of the references <laughs> at all. It's like, as we all know this person from Instagram, I was like, I've got no idea who this person is. But uh, yeah, it was a really great podcast. And yeah, definitely I learned a lot about mental health issues and also how particularly how social media impacts so yeah do you want to give a quick plug for your podcast yeah i mean it was a lot of fun i my best friend lucinda and i um were the co-hosts and we we both wrote the podcast um and and it was it was released with pedestrian uh network which was really really interesting experience because I think I was actually a little bit like you I was a little bit overwhelmed by the kind of caliber of of Instagram people that were coming in um so yeah it, it is it is quite interesting we are hoping for um for a second season but we don't know for sure if that will happen mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and it's available on iTunes etc yes. yeah all those places so you can yeah. find us on Twitter at no chill pod um and it is available on iTunes um and wherever you get your podcasts mm-hmm. 
Great. And yeah, in the last few minutes, I just want to make a couple more links between animal rights and other sort of social justice issues. Maybe we'll touch on the media one. So I guess, um, yeah, just from the 3CR mission statement, I guess what this station is all about, it's to provide a voice for those denied access to the mass media and the many community groups and community issues discriminated against and in and by the mass media. And I guess talk a little bit about how animals and our show, I guess, uh, fits in with that. And I I did want to make a point before as well and, and definitely I agree that uh, you know animals can't come in and do this show for example it's got to be us like the privileged group doing it I guess for them as much as best as we can um, but there is an interesting book called um, what was it fear of an animal planet a hidden history of animal resistance and actually you know looks in the way in which all these there are so many examples of animals resisting their own oppressions whether that's you know within circuses and um, yeah being used for entertainment uh, in like marine parks and so many different ways there's like countless stories and they're often just going like oh this animal has just done this random thing where it's actually he's sort of he's a historian he sort of compiles them and like taken together that could be a, a form of resistance but definitely as you say definitely they can't uh, speak in a way that could be understood uh like over this radio for example and i think animals like there is a lot of discussion around issues um around you know the media who's represented in the media how they're represented in the media so increasingly like when there's a movie comes out at least in with in certain circles it's like what is representation of women what is representation of people of color in terms of like are these groups being represented but also how they're being represented as well is also another important important part of the discussion and again in the media we can't necessarily hear from animals although we can definitely see images of animals and those kind of things but i think animals are definitely discriminated against in the media in that they're generally just reduced to economic value or the benefit to others so you'll often hear things like you know this this farm burnt down and that's going to be really hard for the farmer because they've they've lost this much money and isn't that bad for the farmer and it's like what about the individuals who are actually harmed not the one who's benefiting you know from keeping them and, and using them um, yeah, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on animals and media. Absolutely. I, I totally agree, uh, especially this time of year. I mean, the the sort of silly season when it comes to, to pork um, and well, like, pigs. Sorry, I don't <laughs> want to use the word pork. Um is really, really disturbing. And seeing animals sort of associated with this, represented as this kind of nostalgic throwback and this sort of family, their carcasses of this family bonding experience, uh, I just think it's, if anything, it's incredibly misleading. Um, I think the media does an incredible job misleading um, individuals from understanding where these animals come from and why they're here. I do, one thing I do find really, really interesting was the rise of, um, on, on social media, was the rise of these um what you mentioned about uh, animals resisting places like the dodo and stuff like that um actually have these really wonderful videos about animals sort of uh enjoying their freedom mm. and they do the rounds on facebook and people mm. love seeing these animals sort of touch grass for the first time mm-hmm. um and I do think there is space for that too. Mm. I, I do think there is a lot of space for that, seeing these animals sort of experience something so unbelievably wholesome and um, and being grateful for it is quite nice. But on on the whole, um, the media does an absolutely atrocious job at representing animals mm. in a way that is accurate and is truthful. Mm. And it's a real disservice to individuals that do um, 
ignorantly consume animal products without necessarily knowing where they come from. Mm. And I did actually give a talk a little while ago um, on the emotional lives of animals and that side. And one thing I wanted to highlight is something we've mentioned, um, yeah, already on this show of this idea of this separation between mother and, and child, I guess, and like their male calves in the dairy industry, uh, they're separated and the male is killed because they don't produce milk. And yeah, there's this like real, like, you know, they've lost their, their child, their calf. And yeah, so rather than sort of showing that, um, yeah, that sort of heartbreaking disconnect, I actually showed uh, a calf and their mother being reunited. So it was sort of a more positive way, but still showing the fact that this is really nice and the dairy industry obscures, like, you know, they take away this, they rip these two apart. And so sort of still highlighting, but in a more positive, maybe more palatable way, I guess, for people as well. It was actually really interesting in the documentary Cowspiracy, um, which I don't think was actually revealed much violence um, compared to other animal rights documentaries. But there was one moment that I, I sort of burst into tears and it was when um, the filmmaker actually had taken a chicken and this chicken mm. is just sitting in the front seat of his car. And mm. it's this really, it's supposed to be quite funny because mm. it's quite cute, but it, it was so humanizing and mm. so obvious um, mm. a victory for this one individual chicken. And I actually think that, like you said, there is space for, um, for uh, empathy to be found in those recovery stories and those mm. restorative narratives. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think an another part of that documentary they showed, and I guess like one critique, I guess, of all we've been saying, which we probably don't have time to address, <laughs> but is like, yeah, that that's all horrible and factory farming is bad. Um, but yeah, here's this small scale farm where we name the animals and those kind of things. And that, that was covered in Cowspiracy. And in a way, I kind of almost found that more disturbing in that the factory farming is like we don't care about animals they're economic commodities we're going to pack in as many as possible and profit we don't care about animals i disagree i kind of argue with them um but the other side is like we value them we care about them so much they're like our friends or our co-workers but then we're still going to slaughter them like it, it kind of it seems like that psychology almost seems worse to me i don't know i can't relate to that at all any thoughts on this that sort of happy meat kind of thing yeah. oh it's yeah. ter it's terrifying um i saw a photo that a friend of mine kelly shared and and it was a it was a very disturbing photograph and it was of a young boy who had been at some sort of um american kind of muster show where he had taken his his calf that he had brought up essentially and he was sobbing hysterically because he knew that he had won which meant mm. that this calf was going to end up being slaughtered and mm. the way the mother had posted it in a way that was um like oh um he's learned an incredibly valuable lesson because he knows that this is just what happens and he's invested so much time and energy into this calf and i thought that the, the picture um revealed the opposite of that i mean he was incredibly disturbed mm. and he's the way he had been taught to to emotionally engage with these animals um, wasn't natural. And that's mm. that's exactly the point that uh, vegans try to make. It's actually mm. not natural the way we, we choose to engage with these animals. Mm -hmm. And when push comes to shove, if we do um, uh, sort of engage with them in a way that, he, that, that is empathetic and, and does create the possibility of loving them, then we won't slaughter them. No. And that's just, yeah. Exactly. And that's why there's always so much additional harm to animals beyond just being slaughtered within slaughterhouses because they have to dehumanise or, you know, make them view them as objects. Otherwise, you couldn't do that job as well. So, yeah, a lot to be said in that area as well. But we're just about out of time. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention we're 1 to 2 every Sunday. Um, you can listen to the show via 855 AM or also stream live via 3cr.org.au. 
you. Um, all previous episodes are available at freedomspecies.org as well on iTunes. You can contact us with any feedback um, at info at freedomspecies.org. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, make sure you stay tuned for Encyclopedia. I just wanted to hand it over to Madison. Just give any plugs. You've got to mention your Twitter or your Instagram, which I'm not on, so I've yeah. got no idea how to use it. But I'm sure some of our listeners will be. But yeah, <laughs> anything you want to promote, or also if there's any you know books, anything you want to recommend, any final recommendations for yourself or this Absolutely. topic generally. So I can be found on Twitter at M Griffiths, and that's with a Z at the end. I do not know how to change my handle, and I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I can be found on Instagram at Madison R Griffiths, and I'd also really love to plug my partner's work. His name's Paul Mikhail Podosti. Um, he is an animal rights um, ethicist and he writes a lot in philosophy. Oh, he's a philosopher. Um, and he has a piece that is out uh, now with the Oxford Journal of Animal Ethics. And he touches on a lot of um, academic work on how we use language and how we engage with animals. And he is a huge inspiration to me. Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll share it around with us and we'll put it up on our yeah, Facebook and Twitter absolutely. page. Uh, we better go. Make sure you stay tuned for Encyclopedia. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.